Bankruptcies in Canada set a new all-time high for increases in 2023. That's obviously not great. I'll update you on the U.S. Fed interest rate decision and jobs numbers. We're going to hear what Jerome Powell had to say. The courts have approved another class action lawsuit against two more Canadian financial institutions. And Disney is cracking down on passwords. Today is Monday, February the 5th, 2024. Let's get started with today's news. According to the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy, business insolvencies in Canada jumped by more than 41% last year. The total number of insolvencies, which includes consumers, was up by 23.6% in 2023. Uh, Pedro Atunas, he is the Chief Economist at the Conference Board of Canada, he says that insolvency rates are telling a story that we've been a little concerned about, and that is essentially that we're seeing a very tough economic client for a lot of businesses amid low economic activity. Profits have plummeted and we've seen the stresses of SIBA loan repayments due and perhaps other stresses coming into play. According to the Canadian Association of Insolvency Restructuring Professionals, uh, Friday's numbers marked the sharpest increase in business insolvencies in 36 years of record keeping. Chair Andre Bulldog, he says, many businesses are already on a razor's edge. The additional cost to service their debts due to higher interest rates will mean even less room to cover increasing costs of business going into 2024. According to Finance Minister Christia Freeland, a quarter of the small businesses that took out the SIBA loan, the Canadian Emergency Business Account loan, missed that repayment date that would give them partial forgiveness um, as of January the 18th. Now, small businesses aren't the only group that's struggling right now. Right across Canada, from huge condo developments to raw land, we're seeing a huge spike in development projects that are being pushed into receivership. And this is when the lenders go to the courts to have someone appointed to take control of a property that's in default. The goal there is to maximize the value of the asset. To use a recent example, a development in Kitchener, Ontario was sent into receivership when it was revealed that the owners had literally $300 in their bank account and they had debts of over $100 million. Now, by the time the filing was made here, the construction crews are already walking off the job site. The job was about 80% finished, but it wasn't even weather sealed at the time that the project ceased here. Um, in another example, uh, creditors filed for receivership earlier this month for repayment of more than $82 million for a proposed 55-story condo in Vancouver. Uh, this was a project that was announced back in 2020. Now, the majority of the receiverships have come from Ontario, but the report shows that the fact is that they are spread across the entire country. In cases where a receiver is actually approved, uh, they'll do an assessment on what it would cost to finish the project and then compare that against uh, how much a developer could realistically expect to raise by selling the units. And when a shortfall in that calculation exists, then that's when the action is taken. Uh, in some cases, and this hits uh, uh, very close to home for everyday Canadians, just trying to get into this expensive market, pre-sale purchase agreements, which are a lot of them out there, they can actually be terminated, which of course then leaves hundreds or even thousands of potential buyers hanging in the lurch. In these cases, the buyer is sometimes given an option to pay more for the units. Uh, this would of course then uh, them being contingent upon being willing to pay um, up uh, the higher purchase price. But also of course, they would have to uh, qualify for mortgages in this environment that we're living in today with higher interest rates. At its last FOMC conference, the Federal Reserve announced that it would be holding rates steady, widely expected, at the 525 to 5.5% range. It strongly indicated that it is not yet prepared to start cutting rates. Have a listen here to what Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said. See if you can detect any ambiguity. Based on the meeting today, I would tell you that 
I don't think it's likely that the committee will reach a level of confidence by the time of the March meeting to identify March as the time to do that, but that's, that's to be seen. So he didn't say absolutely not. I don't think it's likely were his word choices. To me, that pretty much sums things up. Uh, barring anything totally unexpected, rates are gonna hold again when they meet next month. Uh, during the two-day meeting, the FOMC, so that's the Federal Open Market Committee, they updated the previous statement. They removed language which suggested that, that they had a willingness to raise um, interest rates until inflation was under control and was heading back to that uh, 2% Fed target rate. But from what Powell said, they do have, uh, they, they feel that rates may have peaked. Here's what he had to say last week. We believe that our policy rate is likely at its peak for this tightening cycle and that if the economy evolves broadly as expected, it will likely be appropriate to begin dialing back policy restraint at some point this year. So he's saying that although March probably isn't the month, rates will drop at some point in 2024 if the economy evolves broadly as expected. Um, overall, the Fed's decision to maintain steady interest rates reflect its cautious approach amid this, this evolving economic conditions uh, and continuing inflationary pressures. A significantly higher than expected U.S. job report has also added to the uncertainty that surrounds interest rate cuts uh, by the central banks, both in the U.S., but also the new data spills over here to the Bank of Canada. The U.S. economy added 353,000 jobs in January, and that absolutely blew away the expectation, the forecast of 180,000. That is the biggest employment rise in a year. Um, also strengthening the job story, November and December job data was revised higher for a total of 126,000 jobs there. Now, before the release of this jobs report, there was about a 50-50 chance that the, the, the rate there would be a rate cut by the Bank of Canada in April. Now that that new data is out, the probability has gone down to 22% um, as of this morning with an implied cut there of 25 basis points. There are virtually no expectations that there will be a rate cut at the next Bank of Canada meeting, which happens in March. Um, having said all that, despite these lower expectation for rate cuts in Canada in the near future, the market does still expect significant cuts uh, totaling 1%, one full percentage point by the end of the year. Um, just like it is here at home, there's now also a reduced likelihood that there will be a rate cut by the Fed in March. Today's showing only a 14.5% chance of a 25% uh, 25 basis points cut. Uh, that leaves an 85.5% chance that most likely the rates will hold at the current levels. Even if we look out as far as May for the Fed meeting, odds of a 25 basis point cut are at 54.5%. Before I move on to our next story, I have a question. Are you in the market for an innovative income solution? Um, in the current uh, macro environment that we see ourselves in now, investors are constantly looking for the best options out there. I'd like to introduce the Harvest Premium Yield Treasury ETF. The ticker is HPYT, where stability meets cash flow. So picture this, you have an ETF that takes a boring old asset class, in this case, US Treasury bonds, all backed by Uncle Sam, and then it writes covered calls on the portfolio to enhance the yield. Well, our sponsors at Harvest ETFs have actually made that possible. They are one of the fastest growing ETF providers in Canada for good reason. Investors all across the country are taking note of their many products to help investors meet income needs. At their core, Harvest formula is very simple. They invest in strong businesses that are poised to grow. Then they use, utilize covered calls to generate monthly income so that you can rely on that cash flow. Now, 
If fixed income isn't your thing, it's not up your alley. They have a whole suite of other products. They include uh, equity ETFs. They have enhanced equity ETFs and many more. You can visit harvestetfs.com or click on the link in the description of this video. You can learn more about HPYT itself or the other products and find something that aligns with your unique investment goals. If you're not already on the Social Blossom app, I will put a link on this page. The membership at Blossom is now bumping up against the 100,000 level. That's amazing growth um, over the past year. I've noticed recently the quality of the discussion and the feedback is becoming literally more and more uh, robust every single day as new users are coming online. If you are a DIY investor, you're looking for a sounding board as you try and make your buy and sell decisions or just trying to figure out what your game plan should be, uh, check Blossom out. While you're there, you can see my profile. My username is Mark B, so it's M-A-R-C-B. You can take a peek at the stocks that I own, the trades I make, and some of the reasoning behind I do what I do. Previously on this channel and also on our weekly Pulse newsletter, I've covered lots of stories in recent weeks about the financial penalties that have been handed out against the big Canadian banks. Well, now two class action lawsuits against CIBC and McKenzie Financial, they've been given the green light by an Ontario judge. In this case, the lawsuits allege that the companies overcharged millions of dollars for fees that uh, for fees for services that investors didn't actually receive. And this specifically focuses on trailing commissions paid to the discount brokerages from the assets of the CIBC and the McKenzie Mutual Funds. In its decision, the Ontario Superior Court of Justice said, the plaintiff alleges that the trailing commissions are improper, unreasonable, and unjustified, and were paid by the defendants in breach of their duties to the class members who held those mutual funds. For those of you who might not know, trailing commissions are fees that are embedded in mutual funds, and they're typically used to compensate advisors for providing services to investors. But investors who manage their own investments through uh, discount brokerages, they typically don't receive any advice at all. So as a result, the ruling is, or the, the thought is they shouldn't be subject to these fees. These rulings are now the fifth and sixth certified class action lawsuits out of a series of seven that have been filed on behalf of investors. And the fees paid by independent investors are estimated to total about $5 billion in overcharged commissions since 1993. The lawsuits here, they allege that the trailing commissions were paid improperly and in breach of duty to investors. They claim that these commissions were used as incentives to encourage the discount brokerages to sell the mutual funds and that violated the trust of the obligations uh, that the asset managers had to their investors. The practice, interestingly, of paying advice fees to discount brokerages was actually banned by the regulators in 2020. The ban came into effect in 2022. On this program last week, we noted the uh, latest earnings results from Netflix and noted particularly that their crackdown on password sharing was one of the big reasons that their forces have taken such a great positive turn of late. Well, now Disney has said it's following in Netflix footprints. It's gonna be cracking down on passwords uh, for its streaming services. In an email to Hulu subscribers, the company announced that they have plans to implement the limitations on sharing passwords outside of the household starting on March the 14th, so just around the corner. The user agreements for Hulu, Disney+, ESPN+, they explicitly prohibit users from impersonating others, that seems fair, or sharing their account information. People who do violate that, they could face consequences including account limitation or in fact termination of their account. Now, in an earnings call last August, the CEO of Disney, Bob Iger, he mentioned that addressing password sharing would be a priority in 2024 and he cited that as an opportunity to boost growth. He actually said, in calendar 24, we're going to get at this issue. We certainly have established this as a real priority. 
we actually think that there's an opportunity here to help us grow our business. Iger is expected to provide more information on this for the details during Disney's fiscal first quarter earnings call, which comes out on February the 7th. I will put a link here for our Pulse newsletter. I would encourage you to subscribe to that. We publish that every weekend. I'll also put a link to our Investing Academy. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'll see you in a couple of days.